worshiping chorus that will cry out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. And we're going to worship the King forever. And right now is our opportunity to practice. If you don't like it here, you're going to be miserable there. I'm praying that as we gather today and as we gather tonight and throughout the week that we're going to use this instrument that God gave us of worship to to lift Him up because when He is pleased throughout the Scripture, when God is pleased, what does He do? He pours out His blessing. And I would love it more than anything for God's blessing to be poured out in this place on this hill this week. I would love it more than anything for God's blessing to be poured out on your life this morning, tonight, every time we gather that God's blessing shows up and your heart is warmed. I would love it more than anything because when we please Him, God shows up. When we do it His way, He shows up and anoints it. And so today... As we open up our scripture in an act of worship, I'm hoping today that, that you're going to, just as if you were worshiping with everything you had, singing as loud as you could sing, I'm praying today that you will listen as hard as you can listen. Not only to the words from the scripture, but the spirit of God as he speaks to you. That thus your spiritual ears will be listening, saying, God, speak to me, and I will follow. I will listen And I will yield to your call. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to start in verse 1. And I'd like to invite you out of the honor and the reading of God's word. Invite you to stand if you're able. Stand if you're able. And I want you, we're going to to read the first 10 verses of Colossians chapter 2. Hear the words of the Lord. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church of Laodicea, and for the many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far, far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers in this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. So you are also, so, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Thank God for his word. You may be seated for a time of prayer. Father, I ask you now, to come and pour out your spirit upon this word. That it won't be, it'll be more than just words on a page today, but it will be the very bread of life. It'll be the very living water in which our hearts thirst for. Lord, I pray that you will now bless the preaching of your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I want you to keep your Bibles open just for a few minutes here because uh, there's a scripture out of that 10, 10 verses that I want to I want to pull out and I want us to look at very closely today. And, it, and it, what it is, it's, it's the first, it's the, it's the, it's the scripture, verses six and seven that you see there. And, and I don't know if you, if you, if you saw the whole theme of that scripture, but it was all about Paul warning the church there about being deceived. And in verse six and seven, he has two verses that kind of change subject a bit. All right, there are things that we must do and things that we must think about as followers of Christ that we need to be preparing and how we need to be living in order that we have our, our spiritual ears on. We be, are all, all the time thinking and that way we're not, we, we don't get caught up in the philosophies of this world. And in those two verses, I, as I was reading and as I was studying these verses, I, I, uh, I, something jumped out at me. And it was in, in, and it's in verse six. And it's something that really shook me a bit because I'm one that was raised in church right here in Bristol. I was raised in church and, and I, I was raised learning scripture and, and growing to, uh, uh, to, to love scripture and, and memorizing scripture. And, and one of the things that we get, we get, what that happens in church is that we get into, um, language routines. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but we have Christian lingo. We have Christian words that we use that we think everybody else knows. And if you, and I'll tell you, if we, when we use them a lot of times outside of church, people who don't know anything about church so often will go, what he's talking about, the, the Lamb of God, the blood that was, sl- you know, slain. You, you, that's Christian words that are not really used outside of the church, and we use those. And, and one of those things is, is I, don't, I don't know if you've ever been asked. How many, have you ever been asked when you, when you received Christ to be your Savior? Have you ever been asked that question? When did you invite Christ to be your Savior? And I remember that question very clearly growing up. You know, as a teenager, people would ask me, so when did you ask Christ to be your Savior? And, you know, you would answer the question. I was, I was 12, I was 14. Some of you, if you, if you came to Christ later in life, you said whatever the age you were. And as I began to read this scripture, it began to dawn on me that Paul here uses a certain word in his, in his speech. He says, now that you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord, these are the things you must do. And I begin to think about that for a second. Because I didn't say Lord and Savior. He said, now that you know him as Lord. I've always known Jesus as my Savior. He's my Savior. He is my Savior. But I begin to do a little research on that. Did you know that there's nowhere in the scripture where Jesus or Paul says that we need to make Jesus our Savior. Nowhere. But but yet, in in my Christian lingo, I say, when did you ask Jesus to be your Savior? Well, you shouldn't be asking Jesus to be your Savior. Because the word Savior in the scripture is used primarily two, two, two major ways. One is, it's linked with the word Lord. Lord and Savior. All right? Make Him your Lord and Savior. Or... The word Savior is used in this context, that Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. Those are the two major contexts of that, of that word Savior. Here he says, now that you've made Jesus Christ your Lord, now you've got to let your roots grow down into him. There's something about that that I think is very important for our cult- culture today and our society today. There's a deception that's going on in our land and, and, and primarily 
starting in our churches. I, um, I don't know if you watch look at statistics or not, but I pay attention to statistics, especially when it's about the church, because the church is the bride. And, and if there's questions about the church and statistics about the church, I'm, I'm interested. And there's a statistic out in America right now that, that 85% of all Americans believe in the same God, the one Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all right? They believe in the same God. And the same one that's the father of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, 85%. But on any given Sunday... Not even a quarter of that 85% are somewhere in the house of God worshiping the Lord. There's a disconnect to me. I don't know if you see that disconnect or not. Some of y'all are going, well, you preaching to the choir, Jason. We're here today. All right? Uh, well, but we're, we're, there's a lot of empty pews here as well. And churches I go to, there's empty pews because there are supposed to be people sitting in those that say they believe in this God, they believe in this Jesus, and, but, there, there's, but there's no action going on. And I begin to think about that statistic, and I begin to think about this understanding of, of Lord and Savior, and, 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 and God began to speak to me that there's a, there's a deception that's going on within our church, that our people are being deceived today. The church is growing worldwide. You know this. It's, the church is growing on every continent in the world except for one. Guess which one? Ours. North America. I wonder why that is. Why is everybody else? Church is growing and lives are being saved and people's lives are being transformed. And we get to America and, and here we are and we're in decline. Every major denomination across the board is losing members year after year now. What's wrong? I believe that it comes down to a deception. The evil one, the, the prince of deception, the evil one is well at work. He, Satan knows that if he can get, get the church folk to just lay low, just get in a pattern of being happy, being comfortable, then he just continues to slowly whittle us away. Deception is a hard thing. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be deceived. I mean, is there anybody here like to be deceived? Anybody? I don't like it myself. I mean, I, and, and I'm, I've been caught in a few times being, being deceived, okay? I, I have been deceived several times. I have an older brother. Uh, I never, I'll never forget riding in the car. I was probably nine years old, and he was, he's about 12. He lowered me. We were riding down the road, and I, and you know, you know those big trucks that, that haul crushed cars to the recycling? And they, they stack them up and they, and they move across. And I, I, I never forget sitting in the car. And I, I may mention, I wonder where those are going. And my brother says, oh, they're going down to the car lot. See, they have a machine down there. They hook to those things, pump them back up, and they can put them out on the lot. <laughs> Sounded good to me. Until I repeated it. And you know what came then? I was embarrassed. All right? I had been deceived. And being deceived is no fun because at some point when you realize you've been deceived, you have to do what? Admit that you're wrong. I mean, how many of you like to do that? I don't. Ask my wife. Even when I am wrong, what do we do sometimes? We will fight to the bloody end. 
trying to fight our case or fight our point because we don't like to admit that we're wrong. That's one of the problems with our church today. We don't like to admit that we're wrong. Did you know that to even be a follower of Christ, you have to admit that you're wrong. You have to admit that you're wrong and He is right. That your way is wrong. If I do it, it's going to be wrong. If I do, if I do it His way, it'll be right. And getting over that pride is so difficult, especially for men. Men, we have a hard time. We are very prideful. We, we like to be right, right? And I, I, hey, I've been to business meetings. I've been to committee meetings and watch people get things. And uh, you can tell when the pride begins to begin to pop out because of that vein. <laughs> Don't to, a church will sometimes start on a course and everybody will know that it's the wrong way. But because they made the decision to go there, they'll keep going instead of following the Spirit in another direction. We're a people that's got to be so sensitive to the Spirit, listening and following. And when that happens, God blesses it, and, and fruitfulness comes from that. Because if you're where He wants you to be, it's amazing what God will do. So we come to a place here in the scripture where it says, now make him the Lord of your life. And, and, but we have a society that only wants him as Savior. How convenient. Um, I want to make sure this morning that, you're not, that you haven't been deceived. And deception can come very, very close to you. You can be deceived by the closest of closest people. I grew up in a, in a poor family. Did anybody else grow up poor? Some of y'all lying, see? Some of y'all just like my mama. We never poor. We had all the riches of the Lord. The Lord just blessed us, and everything's been always been good, you know? We hadn't, we, we were poor. We didn't have no money growing up. I mean, my, 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 I remember my mama saying to my daddy, Daddy, uh, honey, we need to take the kids to get new clothes. All right, all right, we'll go Friday as soon as those yard sales open. I mean, I was poor, you know, ball gloves came from the yards, everything came from the yards, so the flea market, you know, that's how we were raised. And, and I, you know, but when you start growing up as, as young people, and these young people know what I'm talking about, there comes an age when you realize what you have and what you don't have, and who has and who has not. We all go through that time. And I was one of those who realized about middle school, I didn't have what the other kids had, all right? And you begin to look at their clothing, you look at your clothing, you go, I can't have that because you you begin to go to the stores and realize it's just not possible. I remember going through that time and it really hit me one day when I was in, I was in the lunch line in middle school. And we had a system where you went through the line and you punched in this little code and you went through and, and one day I was going through and the computers were down. And I got to the end of the line, there was a lady standing there with a bunch of papers in her hand and uh, she said, uh, she goes, do you have free or reduced lunch? And I said, I don't know. She said, what's your name? Jason Rowe. And she began to look it up and she said, oh, you're free, go ahead. And I looked at her and I went, free? You give me a free lunch? She goes, yeah, you get free lunch every day. I went, every day? She goes, you qualify? And I walked into her thinking to myself, I must be such a good student. <laughs> they give me a free lunch every day. And I thought to myself, first thing I thought was, my dad is going to be so proud of me. See, my dad has a motto. If it's free, it's for me. All right? And so I thought, I thought, man, yes. I said, my dad's going to be so proud to get a free lunch. And, I, and, I, and the only thing I could think of, the reason they gave it to me was, is because I made good grades. 
So I went home, waited for dad to come back home from the factory. And uh, he came in the door. I said, dad, guess what? Did you know that I, I am such a good student at school that they give me a free lunch every day? And I'll never forget my father's face when he looked at me. See, I didn't know what it was then. But now that I have my own children, I know the look. Is my son so stupid <laughs> that he thinks... He had to explain to me why we get free lunch. See, but at my house... When you went to the, uh, you, maybe you had this house too, uh, and it, it, nothing to make fun of, it's just the way it is, and you had no control of it really, unless you didn't get no money. And, and if you had a lot of money, and you just choose to be stingy, and, and all that. And so, but you go to the cupboard at my house as a kid, and you opened it up, and you saw a famous word, or two words really. You know what it was called? Food club. That's what you saw at my house, amen? Some of y'all going, come on. But back then, when they first started that food club stuff, you remember eating that stuff? It was awful. It was cheap, but it was awful. I, I've always loved um, Cheerios. Are there any Cheerio fans here? I like the Honey Nut Cheerios, man. And if you go down to your food club, you'll find you a pack of them. Like that right there. Food club. And I remember, see, I did the toasted oats, the Honey Nut Toasted Oats, them special ones right there. And when I was a kid, though, you put those into a bowl. If you want instant mush, just add milk. I hope y'all don't work for Food City. If you do, I'm sorry. But you put milk on those things, and instantly you have mush. And, and, and you had to eat it fast. Some of y'all remember this, man. You had to run around that bowl, pour the milk, and go, and get it in before the crunch went away. If you, if you even hesitated, if you went to the bathroom and came back, it just it swelled in your bowl. And as you sit there, and you went, oh. And, and, and I, I finally, in middle school, I finally said, I'm on strike. If it's not the real thing, I don't want it. I mean, I was going on demand here. I mean, no more food club, all right? If it don't say Kellogg's on it, I say, I, want the re- I don't want the little fake Pop-Tarts. I want the real Pop-Tarts. I was tired of the icing down the middle. I want the icing all over the Pop-Tart. <laughs> Give me the real thing. I want the real shoes. I want the name brand. I'm on strike. If it ain't like the, my dad, you know what my daddy said? Boy, you'll eat what's put in front of you. That's what daddies do. Mom, but mama goes, honey, I, I'll get you some, some good cereal, okay? And I remember the day. See, I've seen that little, little thing on TV. You know what I'm talking about? The bee. The Cheerios bee. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Flies around there. I remember the first day the bee came to my house. It was the real deal. Came in there and I was like, yes. Same one as on TV. Add milk. Take your time. It tasted good. It didn't swell in your mouth. It was fantastic. And you know what? When it's good, you know how long it lasts. When you have two boys in the house. About a day and a half. I said, Mama, get some more of that. Get some more of that. And so, she did. See, you got to understand something. That box, that box must have stayed at my house for a good two years. Because while I was gone to school, Mama would go buy this one. (laughs) Take that bag out of that one, slide it into that box, put that box back in the cabinet, and rock on. I was being deceived by my own mother. Good thing she's not here today. She'll be here tonight. She'll testify to it. 
But deception can come very, very closely. It can be when it comes, when, God, when, when Satan goes on the attack, it can happen right around you. And, and in America, we have gotten to this place where we, we, don't, we, we no longer understand what the Scripture is saying about making Jesus Christ Lord of our lives. Jesus Christ wants to be the Lord of your life. See, I'd like to repeat that. Jesus Christ wants to be the Lord of your life. Let me give you some more statistics. I like them. There's a guy by the name of George Barna. George Barna, if you don't, haven't read his books, you need to go get his books. He, he has a research group out of California, and he researches and does studies on the church of America. And he began to do, ask across America, began to go church to church and, and do polls. And he, he, he polls thousands of people to get his statistics. And in his latest book, or maybe next last latest book, he, uh, he put out a statistic that I, when I read it, I had to lay it down and go look in the mirror and wonder. It, it, it convicted me greatly. Because he looked at that book and he says that 97%, 97% of people who are sitting in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. 97%. If there's a hundred of us here, you know what that means? Three of us. Three of us. Know Jesus. The way he intended us to know Jesus. Three of us. Okay? Let's do a little poll. Those three people stand up. Uh oh. You see what it shocks you, doesn't it? Now some of y'all just went, well, who's George Barna? I don't even know who that is. I can't, I ain't believing that statistic because I know who I am. See, I, I've always, I've always noticed. Have you ever noticed this about Americans particularly? Is that when we go to church so often and the preacher's preaching and it gets to a tough subject, the first thing we think of is, man, I wish my wife was here to hear this. Or I wish my son was here. All right. We are people who think the message is never for us. Now he said, who's George Barna? Who's George Barna? Well, let me give you another guy. There's a guy by the name of E. Stanley Jones, 35 years ago, who said that he believed it was somewhere between 80 and 85% of, every, of people sitting in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday have been deceived, and they do not know Jesus Christ as Lord. Some of y'all went, who's E. Stanley Jones? Let me give you one you all know. Billy Graham says he believes it's somewhere between 80 and 85%. Of you sitting in church. Some of you all sit here every Sunday. But you've been deceived. You do not know. And all three of them have the same reasoning why. The, sa- the same reasoning for all three of those statistics are the same. And, the, and, and, and it's this. is that, the, that people today, that their characteristics of a Christian today does not match the characteristics of one who followed Christ in the Scripture. Our lives don't match up to a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe it all comes down to this understanding between knowing Jesus as Lord and knowing Jesus as Savior. So we like this idea. I mean, think about our society today. It has become so individualistic. I mean, if it's not for me, then what, who's if? I mean, there's no need for me to be a part of it. We, we even subconsciously ask the question sometimes, what's in it for me? And if there's nothing in it for us, we'll move on. 
There's churches that I've had past, I had tried to bring churches together and I, and, and, and for, for events and communities and, and bring them together and, and I have a pastor ask me, what's in it for me and my church? I'll say, nothing. Nothing. The idea that it's for me, I mean, think about how Satan works. He's, he's the great deceiver. So we already, we already have this idea in our culture that what's in it for me, how convenient is it for him? For Satan to say, yeah, just claim him as Savior. Think about the transaction that takes place. If Jesus is Savior, who receives? You do. He's your Savior, right? And so therefore, what are we saved from? We're saved from, we're saved from, we're saved from hell, saved from our sin, and we, we get to live for him forever. We get eternal life. We get heaven. How convenient. How convenient it is that we receive something. But when we say Jesus Christ is Lord, who receives? He does. He receives it all. He becomes Lord. He becomes everything. And that's why in America and even in the church today, we have this idea backwards. We think this idea that we get him as Savior and that Lord is just comes tagged along with it. But it don't work that way. The way that we get him as Savior is to know him as Lord. He's got to be the Lord of your life. And if you want to boil it all down to the characteristics of a disciple in Jesus Christ, it says that, I would say this, they gave everything. Look at the first church in Acts chapter 2 and 3. When they, when they begin, they came together. They sold all their possessions. And Acts 2.44 says they gave everything they had. They gave it all. There's nothing they kept for themselves. They became a part of a community. And if, I, if a preacher got up and said, folks, we need to be like the first church. We need to be like, you know, this is, this is the example that's given to us biblically. We need to go, if you're really serious about this, Jesus, everybody go out and sell their homes, give away all their possessions, and let's come together and take care of one another. And I would go to guess you'd have the empty church because we're so attached to our things. The Lord wants it all, everything. He wants us to give it all. I mean, this, this just, just for a second, I, I, uh, just for a second, let's look at the characteristics of one who knows him as Lord and one who knows him as Savior. These are interesting characteristics. You, you can always tell whether, where somebody's at. Now, some of y'all sitting here with your spouses, and you're getting ready to go, mm-hmm. So I told you you need to be prayed for. I told you you need to go down that altar. See, let me give you the number one one. The number one pro- characteristic difference. It's where Jesus is in the area of priorities. You can tell someone whether Jesus Christ is their Lord is if their priority is Jesus' priority. And what, what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came for the world, for humanity. He came to die. His sin on the cross represented all of sin, all of humanity. He came so not one would perish. He wants, he wants every person to know him. And if that's his priority, where should it be on our list? Number one. We should be, that, should be our, that should be our goal. To go therefore and make disciples. That should be our goal to make sure other people know the love of Jesus Christ. And when it's not our priority and we, we begin to, we begin to mess that all up and we, we begin to have our own ideas about that. And even though that's what, that's his whole plan. When we begin to do what he set out to do, 
our lives totally change. But when it comes to our convenience, you know the person I'm talking about. Where church and serving is something that you do, not something that you are. When Jesus Christ is your Lord, serving him just becomes who you are. Not something you just do to to check it off your list. It becomes you eat and breathe. You want more of it because you see the greater cause. You see the greater mission of God and and you're going for it because you're you're, you're a part of the greater kingdom when you're serving him. But one who just knows he's my savior says, what's in it for me? What's this serving going to do for me? Other than make me feel good. I'm going to go because it's the right thing to do. I don't care if it's right or not. The question is not whether it's right or wrong. The question is, is whether it's holy. I begin, I believe we begin to ask that question. Is it holy? Everything changes. Let me give you a second one. The second one comes down to worship again. Worship. Now, I know, Pastor, you've never had a business meeting where people have uh, talked about worship. Now, y'all don't talk about worship in business meetings. Uh, it's for business. But um, worship is an uh, interesting thing. It's because the Scripture says that God wants our worship. Amen? He wants our worship. You find me a person who knows him as Lord, you better watch out. Because they'll do everything to worship him. There's no limitations. But when, he, when somebody knows him as Savior, it begins to matter what worship's like. What style is used. Whether something is just right or not. See, worship has a lot less to do with you and how you feel. It has a lot more to do with how God feels. Worship, when we come into the house of God, it's your opportunity to come together corporately and worship Him to make sure when you leave this building that you have given 110% that God knows that He has all of you. I have a friend of mine's pastor, and uh, he was telling me a story about this little lady that he had in his church and I, she, he said she complained every Sunday. And every Sunday she had something to pick apart about the worship service that she didn't like. And, and that one that particular day, the, she said that we were coming out and, and here she come. And she said, he said, he just said, Lord, give me the right words. And, and he said it, she got up to him and she uh, started. She said, Pastor, that's a wonderful message. But that hymn we sang was just awful. And he patted her on the back and said, don't you worry any longer. It wasn't for you. <laughs> Come on! That's exactly right. I believe the Lord gave him those words. Because we don't, we don't sing a hymn. We don't sing a song so that you like it. We sing a hymn because we, or a song or we pray. We do every, everything that takes place in the house of the Lord ought to be something that's bringing exaltation to the Lord. Everything goes up. And matter of fact, we ought to leave here today. Maybe you're going to leave here today anyway saying, you know, I really got nothing out of that. That might be the right answer. I got nothing out of it. But by George, I gave everything I had. And he is exalted. My God is pleased. 
my God is happy. And if my God is happy, then he'll be pleased in me. But you find me a person that just knows he's my Savior. They'll begin to pick apart worship. That it has to be a certain way. Certain style. Right song. Because it didn't make me feel good. Let me give you one last one today. And it comes down to this. This piece. And it comes down to fruitfulness. I would go to guess. Statistics show that 95% of people who call themselves believers today, followers of Christ, that 95% of them have never helped another person come to know Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. You know what the Bible talks about when it comes to fruitlessness? I mean, read your scripture. Fruitlessness is really not tolerated by Jesus. It is something... That he, that he probably acts upon in the most harsh way. And though we will go for years and be fruitless, helping no one to know Jesus. And I would go to guess that, that, not, that for some of us, that not only includes people around us, but that also includes our own families. When Jesus is Lord... We understand the mission. But when Jesus is Savior only, we begin to say, this Jesus is just for me. Why does anybody else need to hear about it? I'm taken care of. Everybody else will be just fine. That's because you've been deceived. Fruitfulness is God's plan. Matter of fact, fruitfulness happens where the Spirit is present. How many of y'all, ever, how many of y'all know that you have a human nature? Anybody here have a human nature? Oh, good. We've got three or four. <laughs> we know what human nature is, don't we? The Spirit of God also has a nature. Human nature is something that we do naturally. Right? The Spirit also has a nature. It's what it does And can't help it. And you know what that is? Produce fruit. Where the Spirit is, there'll be fruit. It's His DNA. The Spirit is love. It it is gentleness. It is new believers. It is transformation. It is reconciliation. It is redemption. It is kindness. It is self-control. All in one. Where it's present, those things are. Where it's not present is is in places where people say, it's about me. In the scripture, Paul says, now that you've received Jesus Christ as Lord... That tells me that you can't even begin until you know him as Lord. And we have this idea that everybody is just, everybody just knows the Lord. Everybody just knows God. Everybody just knows him and there's no reason for us to do 85, 85% of Americans know, know the Lord. It's, it's, it's all taken care of. No need, no need for us to reach out to anybody. 
But there's a deception going on. And if we never fix it in the church, we don't have, we don't have a, even a chance in our communities. Where are you at today? Is Jesus, when you look in the mirror, can you look in the mirror and say, Jesus Christ, you're that woman's Lord. Or Jesus Christ, you're that man's Lord. Everything, everything is all in. He's Lord of my life, my workplace. He's Lord of my, my, my hobbies. He's Lord of my habits. He's the Lord of everything, of my pocketbook. He's the Lord of it. It's His. When He is Lord of your life, it's all in. I want to ask you today, as we begin our time of revival this week, are you all in? Is Jesus Christ your Lord of your life? You can ask yourself real quickly, are you fruitful? Maybe you're here today and you're like, you believe. You do believe. And I believe that's where we're, a lot of us are at. We do believe. But we haven't trusted him yet. It reminds me of the story of the tightrope walker. You know the one I'm talking about? The one that went across the Grand Can- I mean, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, Niagara Falls? You told this story before. This, they, ought, they, ought to know, they ought to know this story. But the tight walker who went across the river and everybody cheered. It's like a quarter of a mile back and forth. Everybody cheered. And he said, uh, so he got a wheelbarrow and put it on the, on, the, on the cable and put rocks in it. You know what I'm talking about? And he goes across and back and everybody cheers. And, he, and, and then they says, he says, how many of you believe I can put a man in this wheelbarrow and take him across and back? And everybody raised their hand. I believe. And then he said, who's going to be, who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? And all the hands went down. This morning. This afternoon, probably. You might believe. You might believe. But have you truly trusted him with your whole life? Have you gotten the wheelbarrow and said, Jesus Christ, you're in control. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this word. This word that brings out the understanding about being deceived. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that when Paul says, now that you know him as Lord, that gives us a whole new understanding in this room. And maybe today, there's someone here that believes, they, they truly do believe, but today, they need to trust you. Maybe there's someone here today that, if they really be honest with themselves, they look at their hearts, they look at their minds, and they say, you know what, Lord, I've been deceived. Lord, I haven't given you everything. I've been deceived and thinking that I can just continue to mosey right along. And, and I've, got, I've got my safety net. I've got my fire insurance policy. But I can just continue to live the way I want to live. But today, God has spoken to you. God has convicted you and said, I want all of you. I, I don't want you to sit in the pew Sunday after Sunday. I want you, I want to use your hands and your feet and your mouth 
to be my hands, my feet, and my mouth. Maybe today you're here and you're going through troubles in life. And, and, and those troubles that, you, that you're having have stemmed from places in your life that you have, you've never given to Him. And today you think, gosh, if I would have given Him that area of my life, this wouldn't have happened. Today is a new day. And we have a God thought, God, thank you for this new day that you say, just give, just give it all to me. Come, come as you are. God, I pray right now that all pride be knocked down today. And that we're willing to say, God, I've been wrong. But Lord, I know you're right and I submit to your way. Lord, I pray this right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen. Let me give you this invitation today. today. And that is this. If today, if Jesus Christ is not your Lord, you believe that you need to make Him the Lord of your life, I'm going to invite you to come and pray and Just give it to Him. Give Him your life. If you're not a believer today, if you're not a Christian, if you've never been saved, today may be your day. The Scripture says that today is your day of salvation. When you come to that place and God convicts your heart, you don't run from that. That is God's voice saying, come to me. Turn from what you're doing and come home to me. Come and live. Live indeed. And for those of you that are sitting there going, you know... I maybe just need to give a little more to my life. This is the invitation for you. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And today, I'm willing to give more of myself than I ever have before. Today, I'm willing to give more of myself than I ever have before. Because I believe He is Lord. And He wants all of me. Will you stand with me? Let's stand together and as we sing... Let's not let pride be in the way.